It's a well-known fact that good sleep leads to a happier life. Okay, maybe that's not a fact fact, but don't you just feel amazing after a great night's sleep? Like the first night back in your own bed after traveling. It's time to demand more first night back kind of sleep. Stop tossing and turning and talk with your doctor about how you can seize the night and day. And visit SeizeTheNightAndDay.com to learn more. How about we heat things up tonight? Mm, how so? Get a little fresh, add some steam, sizzle and spice. <laughs> Wait, you're talking about going to Outback again, aren't you? Fire things up at Outback Steakhouse. For a limited time, try our Bloomin' Fried Shrimp. Or get fresh with our new strawberry salad. Go big with our bone-in ribeye. Or the filet and grilled shrimp on the barbie. Then cool off with a cucumber crush or peanut koala. Try them all before they're gone. Let's Outback. One of the best things about doing a podcast, especially one where you interview people or have discussions, and you're open to a variety of people and different industries and different walks in their life, is you get to expand your mind. It's a weekly education for me, and I hope that it's, for my guests, a way to continue to broaden their horizons and for us to mutually continue to learn and grow. Today's guest on Dr. D's social network is Vienne Brown. We get into some really interesting conversation spanning from a small history related to clothing, the relations between Hong Kong and China, and also the homogenous future of our transportation vehicles. I think you're really going to like it. Vienne Brown. Hey, hey, we are back again, and this time with Vienne Brown. Vienne, thank you so much for being on today. Oh my goodness, thank you so much for having me on your show. Man, we had a good conversation off offline. I had a really good time speaking with you. Likewise, yes. I, I really enjoyed uh, learning about your background and your, your all of your experiences. That was great. Thank you. You know, we, we got connected. I'm always getting connected to people. Uh, through Laura McGuire, correct? Yep. And you two are both in the essentially clothing or fashion industry on some level, right? Yes. We're both in the hosiery business. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of independent hosiery brands in the U.S. So, you know, find or connecting with somebody who's in the same space um, and is like-minded was was a pleasure to me. Um, I've actually never met her in person before, but we've exchanged so many emails that I feel like I know a lot about her. It seems as if we have met in person, and I'm sure if I ever meet her in person, we would just connect immediately. Yeah, certainly. She's wonderful. She's always like, Dr. D, I have another great person for you. <laughs> oh, Somebody, you need to talk to this person. You know? Yeah, she's great about that. I, I've met a number of people through her already as well. So what got you into the hosiery business? It seems like something, as I talked to Laura before, that maybe making a comeback. I remember it being big in like the 80s, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, before starting the Milano, I was in corporate America. I was actually in high tech and um, I was launching products uh, in the software space. And at the time, I couldn't find thigh-high stockings that would stay up on my leg. Everything was either something you'd wear on a hot day or um, or, or that the quality would be just not very good. And so um, 
you know, I, I knew this would be an opportunity. Plus, I've always wanted to start my own fashion brand. And um, with all of these things combined, it was almost the perfect or it wasn't almost it was the perfect opportunity for me to start my own business. That's awesome. And so what is what have you noticed in the the trends in terms of hosiery in, in today's world? Sure. Well, um, you know, hosiery has been, to your point, it was it was very trendy in the 80s. But um, actually, if we go further back, um, hosiery was a, a an iconic item that almost every woman had worn in the 40s. In fact, um, pantyhose or, or um, nylon stockings was something that DuPont had uh, created back in the 1940s, and they had spent some $7 million on advertising back in the day on um, promoting the idea that women um, should or, or encourage them to wear stockings. Um, but the Second World War had occurred, and everything that had to do with nylon was sourced and it was collected to create material for um, the army uh, for the U.S. And so, um, but since then, you know, like we mentioned, the the trend in wearing hosiery had been uh, going up and down. It had been changing. I, I think for now, to kind of a long way to answer your question, but um, today, I think stockings um, has been has become mainstream. Um, I think in particular opaque or colorful stockings is really um, the thing, especially for this season. Um, you know, I, I don't think um, young women are going to be looking for sheer stockings, but they are looking for opaque, colorful stockings to go with their outfits. Uh, you talk about the sheer stockings. I think about, I have kind of this, this picture in my mind of like people working on airplanes in the 80s, like flight mm -hmm. attendants wearing that. I don't know why I just had that in my mind, but that feels like that is so out. Like people are not wearing like sheer based products anymore, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it is um, a commoditized item, right? Um, sheer stockings and um, a lot of uniforms still require uh, sheer stockings. Um, for me, I think, classic black sheer hosiery, those are still going to be an item that um, is going to be around for, for a bit. Um, but I think the, the skin tone matching color scheme, um, you know, we still have a number of customers who buy those, but I think uh, it's the opaque um, and pattern stockings that are way more interesting for a lot of consumers. Now. And, I, and I think part of it is because a lot of consumers, they understand that you know, here they are spending thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars on the dress, on, on you know, the um, jewelry, on accessory, on the bag and the shoes. Well, if you're wearing a skirt or a dress, you also have what I call a canvas <laughs> um, or real estate, really, between, um, you know, whether it be at your leg or your thigh to the bottom of your to your leg, um, that you can also use that as an area to express yourself. And so that's why the colorful and the pattern stockings, um, are, have become so popular. Are you seeing more of that, that people wanting to like self-expression through fashion? You think that's a bigger thing today or talk, speak a little bit about that? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's always been the case. Um, I think it's just that today more and more people understand that, you know, 
first impression matters and, and that what you wear says a lot about you. Um, and so I do see that more people have become way more creative um, in expressing how they feel through fashion. Um, and I think part of it is because, you know, I would say maybe 20, 30, or 40 years ago, there were a lot of taboos, right? So um, a lot of things weren't, or were or were not supposed to be worn. And today, a lot of those taboos are are just left by the wayside. And so as a result, a lot of people are becoming more daring with their fashion choices. You know, one thing Laura and I discussed was this, was this whole concept of that society has become more comfort-based and that people are wearing clothes that are just more comfortable for them. What are your thoughts on that? Um, yes and no. I, I do think that uh, athleisures, um, you know, the category of, uh, I guess, fashion apparel where it, it's meant to provide comfort, but it also, it's something that you can work out. <laughs> um, that is quite big uh, as a category, but I do think that there are people who are interested in, you know, dressing up, um, every day, you know, for me, even though I'm working from home or working remotely, I, I still try to look the part. Um, I think, um, and I could be, it could just be me, but I feel like when you dress the part, you think the part. And so, um, there's certain motivation that goes along with dressing up. Um, yeah. You're not wearing pajamas every day. You mean, is that what you're saying? No, no why not? I mean, like... you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, um, you know, Mary Kendo of the, the magic of cleaning up, yes. um, Yes. And one of the things that she had mentioned on, which I had thought a little bit about too, is um, she had discouraged people from having something called home clothes. I guess, you know, myself included in that where you have two categories or you have several categories of clothing, right? But um, I guess a lot of people have clothing that they do, they just wear at home, slacks, if you will. And she really discouraged that because I guess the idea for her was um, – you should have nice clothes. Whatever you wear at home should be whatever you wear outside. And I, I thought about that for a little bit. I, I'm, you know, I, I agree with her. Um, but then there are, I think, certain occasions that I would probably not wear jeans to, right? Um, mm -hmm. So I, I still think that there's a time and place for, for everything um, and certainly for fashion as well. That's an interesting concept. Um... I've talked to more people who are like, oh, I'm just wearing pajamas or I'm wearing like, you know, sweatpants or whatever uh -huh. at home and stuff. And then there's some people who are like really dressing up. I just don't see the dressing up thing that much. But then again, my lens is also influenced by that. I'm in the fitness business, I which see. seems like everybody's in the fitness business, basically wearing athleisure clothing, it feels like. And uh -huh. the stuff that you can wear anywhere. Actually, I read an article one time. It was a long time ago. I'm not sure how valid this article is, but I thought it was interesting in that it was purporting that the majority of people who are wearing athleisure clothes don't actually work out, actually. <laughs> yeah, and I've it, heard it, that too. Yeah, have you seen and, this? No, yes, Lululemon clients, I think, are oftentimes, they're not doing yoga, you know? <laughs> no. I think it's a big misperception, actually, that like when you see somebody wearing that, like that they're like really into working out. It doesn't no matter how they look they're you know, whatever. It's it's just it feels like it's just comfort. It's something uh, comfortable to wear. 
And right. now the clothing is so nice and so durable and all these things that people are like, I'm going to pick up my kids in this. I'm going to go out for lunch in this. I'm going to go to dinner. I'm going to lounge around at my house type of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, I think it also depends on where you live, right? So I, I live in a building um, that has 200 units. So I, although there are some days, I'll admit that I never leave the unit, <laughs> but there are- <laughs> You're admitting it, right? Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, like I, you know, I need to go out and get the mail, right? And I, oh, okay. <laughs> so I need to get out and get the mail, or get something from the car, or, or you know, um, I need to see somebody outside that besides my husband and son. Yeah. Um. So I, I just I don't want to just look dumpy, you know. And I'm not saying that 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 <laughs> I I want to look decent. That's the, I think that's the word. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's weird though. I think even the way this, uh, the pandemic has been, it's, it's really changed people and how they, how they interact on a daily basis and their fashion. You know, if you're used mm -hmm. to some going into an office and having to dress a certain way and all of a sudden we have this rise in remote work and a lot of companies are just staying with remote work even after this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you don't have to wear a quote unquote work clothes. So like, what is your fashion then? You know, like, yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I, I like I said, it's just you know presentable, right? Or or, or something that I, um, I something that I wouldn't seem like I I'm on my way to, I don't know, uh, paint the wall or something. You know? <laughs> You're like, I'm really trying to figure this out here. <laughs> yeah, but I, I you know, it, it's. It's both comfort and to look decent. I think that's what it is. And I know the word decent is very, very vague. Um, but um, nevertheless, it's <laughs> I mean, to look like you haven't given up on life when you're closing. Yes. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, yes, you know, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> you just get up in the morning. You're like, eh, nothing going on. I'm just, why do I need to dress up? You know? No, no, I don't do that. Um, like I said, there there are still times when you, you you never know. Actually, here is an example, um, and it kind of validate my my I guess silly thought here. But um, the other day, I I'm actually working in New Hampshire right now with uh, my my husband um, for the week because it was July Fourth a few days ago. But um, so here I am and. I all of a sudden I realized, gosh, there's something I need to take care of. And oh, no, I have to go into Boston, which is a two hour drive. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, because I got up and I, I actually, you know, put <laughs> I looked decent again, like I had my makeup on already and I had, um, you know, something that I would normally worry or to the office already. I was able to leave the house within minutes um, whereas had I not had any of my poop together, I would have had to spend yet another half an hour or an hour just to get ready. Right. And so I guess it's, it's that, that thought that, oh my gosh, what if I all of a sudden need to get out of the house? You know, what am I, something happens to my son and I have to go somewhere. Um, I just want to be ready for that. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's a different time, but it's interesting. I wonder how, fashion companies, will they continue to kind of double down on this comfort wear with more people not going to offices anymore and uh, working remotely, you know? Mm -hmm. That's a very good point. Well, um, I do think that 
at least for us, when it comes to marketing, I still want to encourage people or, or, or to present um, an image of a woman or, or somebody that uh, people want to become, right? It, it, we're still going in the inspiration or aspiration direction. Um, and so, yes, maybe people are having fewer places to go to, but nevertheless, they still have to go to places, you know? Um, I've even noticed though, that like when I was going to restaurants and stuff before all this, like it was just so much more casual, you know, like just a, a big casual feel to going out. Whereas like many years ago, it wasn't that it was like, oh, you, you know, you got to look a little more presentable when you go out to this place, but almost like places of business are just allowing people to dress down a lot more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting kind of this different dress aspect. I have nothing to add to that because I haven't been to a restaurant in, like, I don't know how long. <laughs> well, you know, like, before all this and everything, whatever, you know, it's just, I used to live in Las Vegas, and I mean, there's uh-huh. nothing but restaurants and casinos. So it's oh, like constant crazy. dining. And these restaurants, a lot of them are extremely nice. Like, even like the fast mm-hmm. casual ones are beautiful restaurants. Mm-hmm. And you, I would regularly see people like, not very presentable, um, yeah. you know, just kind of like, just like you said, kind of like dumpy and yeah. it wasn't a big deal. Like nobody cared about it. I and mean, I wonder like, and then you have like your fine dining things where it's like, you really feel like you have to, but even in some of those, especially in casinos, people still would just walk in from the casino floor to a nicer place and be like, eh, whatever. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, I actually have a, an anecdote to add to that too. So um, I'm originally from Hong Kong. I moved here when I was six years old. Um, but the first time we visited Boston or the States, if you will, um, we hadn't moved here yet. I, I was like four or five. And my mother, whom I traveled here with, had learned that in America, folks don't dress up all the time. People here are a lot more casual in the way they dress and everything. And so my mother had um prepared my clothing and we were both in a lot more casual wear if you will and when we got here my grandmother um saw us my my grandmother lived in in uh, boston at the time and she thought we had become really poor and she was like she was in shock and so she told my aunt my mom's sister and was like oh my god are they in like financial disorder like what's going on and so she <laughs> had given my aunt some money to take us to go shopping because she was getting really concerned. Wow. <laughs> and so, um, you know, my my aunt was trying to be nice about it. And as we were went as we went shopping, um, you know, she asked my mom, like, is everything okay? Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> right, know? right. And that's when my mom was like, oh no, no, we're fine. I just thought that like, you know, I was trying to blend in, you know. <laughs> You know, it's, it's interesting, that story, and it, it makes me think about, you know, when you look at kind of period pieces of movies and you see these periods of times in like the mid-1900s and stuff when uh, people, you know, men wore suits all the time, women yeah. wore dresses, dressed up, and this was like everywhere, no matter where you went, this was mm-hmm. the attire. I can't imagine an entire city of people doing that. Right. Ever yeah. now, you know? Yeah. And then I think if we go back a hundred or 200 years back, um, 
you know, some folks even had uh, help getting dressed because, you know, clothing back then was just so much more complicated. Yeah. You know, I think like men's shirts, right? Their buttons are on different side as women. And the reason was because um, when men's shirts were first invented, if you will, I guess, um, men had help. Um, putting the shirts on and that's why the buttons are on the other side. I didn't really think about that. But now that you say that, it makes me feel like we've just gotten, uh, we want our clothes to be very easy for us. It's like somebody to help us put it on, then like more suits and stuff. Then it's like athleisure where it's like, what's next? Just like, I'm not going to wear anything, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Potato sack. (laughs) Yeah, the the casual evolution of clothing in America, you know, type of thing. But you mentioned about Hong Kong, which is uh, kind of was. I'm not sure how much you keep up with this or your interest even talking about it. But clearly, there's a lot going on in Hong Kong um, with China. Do you keep up with any of that stuff or no? Absolutely, because I still have family there. Oh my Um, god. Yeah, my my husband and I were actually in Hong Kong um, last year, like weeks before all of the protests that began. And so it just, things keep getting worse and worse and worse. But um, in retrospect, though, I think a lot of folks from that city had known, you know, Hong Kong is never going to get back to how things were in the 90s, you know, at its peak. Um, And that's why a lot of us had moved out of the city. when I moved out of Hong Kong, it was years before the handover. And then, in fact, um, right up to the handover in 97, um, our neighbors, friends, everybody was leaving to either Canada or Australia. I remember going to school in the first grade and um, my classmates were either moving to Australia or Canada. And it was just kind of a sad moment mm. because you know that these were folks that you'll never see ever again because we're all immigrating and we were too young to, you know, exchange address or, 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 you know, we were too young to figure out how we would keep in touch. But, um, it, it, it's a sad reality, but not a surprising one, I guess. That's the point. So for the listeners, I mean, it sounds like you have a very good grasp on this. Maybe just maybe a short summary. (laughs) All right. A short summary. It's not a short one. I know, I know, but like, for there's literally listen think about what we're going through and all these things and racial inequity and stuff there's just a Absolutely. lot of people who don't know history like the actual history of things and so i found myself in positions of having to explain things like slavery and reconstruction mm-hmm. and jim crow and you know all these things and there i'm sure there's tremendous amounts of people who look at this thing that's going on in hong kong and go i don't get it i don't understand but yes. this is. So maybe a little bit of background maybe might help some folks. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I want to kind of, um, you know, be clear about my point of view. I, I, I think it would be silly for me to defend um, police brutality in one place and not the other. That would be very, very, um, what's the word? Um, it, it, it just wouldn't make sense for me. Um, but I, and I'll get back to that point. Um, so anyway, long, you know, with the history of Hong Kong, um, you know, essentially it was a city that was colonialized, um, I guess, given to the British um, or to the Brits hundreds of years ago. And, and that was the result of, um, you know, the Opium War. And 
the agreement was by 1997, um, Hong Kong would be handed back to China. But um, at the same time, Hong Kong would also be given um, its own government. So, you know, people of Hong Kong would be able to have democracy and to govern themselves um, freely as they would. Uh, and the limit on that was 2047, meaning um, that it would have, uh, China would operate as one country, two systems. Um, the type of government that exists in China is communism, as you know. Um, and so, you know, the idea was there would be democracy in Hong Kong and communism in China, but both being one country. Um, but even still, you know, there are still some regional differences between this tiny little city and this big country. Uh, for example, if I went through Hong Kong to China, I would require a visa. Um, I would have to go through customs like I would through any other country, etc. But Anyway, what was going on? Um, I could I can give you a very concise, actually, <laughs> version of sure. all of this. So, um, essentially, last I want to say April, April or March, um, there was a man who was also from Hong Kong, traveled to Taiwan with his at the time uh, girlfriend to Taiwan, and he had murdered her. Um, the murder was quite gruesome. He actually had stuffed her body into a suitcase in Taiwan and things, um, and he got caught. And so because this occurred in Taiwan, they wanted to persecute him. Um, but because Taiwan is also on its own system, has its own different government, it wasn't clear how um, he would be persecuted or which governance would he be, um, or which rule of law would mm-hmm. um would take place. And so um, the executive director of Hong Kong, who was pro-China, um, who was also assigned by China, even though she was supposed to be um, elected, um, had said, hey, how about this? Let's, um, I forget, I, I'm missing the words here, but let's um, give China essentially the power of um, arresting <laughs> and um you know, people from our city, right? And, and essentially, um, we, we, the people of Hong Kong would essentially lose its power of um, governance, right? Which right. became a very scary thought. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm like losing okay. this word. Okay. Yeah. But anywho, um, this freaked everybody out because imagine the freedom that you have today in America, which is freedom of speech and freedom to have your own opinion um, be taken all away tomorrow. Um, And not just taken away, but if you were not saying something that the government didn't like, you can be put away. Such was the case in Hong Kong. Um, You know, a lot of authors who wrote against the Chinese government was being um, kidnapped, right, or killed or whatever. And, and so this was a big um, no-no for a lot of citizens in Hong Kong. And as a result, there were protests. And all of those protests occurred. What began as one million people, one million became two million, and so on and so forth. And things got out of hand. Um, the police that, you know, is 
essentially um, reporting to the Chinese government had become very, I don't know what's the word for it, but they, they were very, they became very violent. And, you know, there was nothing from stopping them from beating, you know, women that were pregnant, um, that were beating even sometimes honest bystanders, um, people that was just so happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time were getting beat up and they, it was just getting out of hand. And I mean, of course, there's two sides out of every story. There were also protesters that were just spraying, spray painting anything that had ties to the Chinese government or any business that um, was very vocal about supporting communist China. And so months and months on end, um, this violent protests had occurred. And then, um, then I guess came the New Year's and COVID had began <laughs> and just things became even worse. Um, so um, long story short, or I don't even know if it's even short anymore. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, essentially, China recently just passed this law where um, for the security of people of Hong Kong, anybody who essentially says the wrong thing can be arrested. You know, if there's, if they can prove that you were influenced by foreigners um, to disrupt the government, then you can be put away. It's very, very vague, which makes it very, very scary. Because if you're saying anything um, that the Chinese government doesn't like, you can be put away, you know, Um so yeah, I, I guess that's that's really the summary of it. All. It's a pretty good summary, actually. It's uh, it's pretty scary, but it also shows how much we don't know on things we don't spend time on. You know, I think there's so yeah. much of our history and of the world that we are completely unaware of, like crazy unaware of. Mm-hmm. And what's weird is that because we have so much information. Nowadays, you you would think people would be more informed. In many ways, they're less informed because the volume of information is so much that it paralyzes people. And so they read a headline and they don't really do much more than that. Or they go, they see something, Hong Kong, China, dispute, speech, and they don't really actually look at the history of it. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it's weird. It is absolutely right. You know, I... It's 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 very interesting. To your point, you know, we do have um, the ability to read about the news and just about anywhere. But in a way, I think um, we're just so much more comfortable um, with the information we know. And so, in a way, in knowing that there's so many choices, you it, it's I, I think it, it's it encourages some people to even to become more comfortable with the few information that they know. So they only read about just a few things that, that um, is relevant to them. I mean, think about your internet searching on algorithms and things. It's feeding you things that you look up, more things like that. Yeah. So it's essentially homogenizing your ideas into one area, yeah. which I think is really dangerous, honestly, because all of a sudden you're given the tremendous thing called the internet and search uh-huh. engines. And you think, man, I could look at anything in the world. But then you have these systems that pull you towards more homogeneous based behavior. Yeah. How ironic you, you is that? Follow- yeah, it's true. It's very true. You know, um, some friends of mine and I had talked about this topic. And, y- you know, I think 
I, I'm not trying to blame anything on anybody, right? Because at the end of the day, we have ourselves to, um, you, you know, you we're in control of the information that we want to um, read about or talk about, etc. But I do think that it goes back to how the news is presented um, in this country. You know, in oftentimes in other places, when you look at even something like the weather, they'll t- tell you about the weather all over the world. You know, you, there's a, a view where they'll t- tell you about the weather in Paris, London, and in every continent. For some reason, they don't really do this here in the U.S. Um, they just focus on the weather in your particular city and in sometimes your state as well. Um, very rarely do they talk about the weather in the state next door, right? And so I think um, when you have even something as simple as that going on, it really fosters the idea that you should only care about the things um, that is close and relative to you. And I'm not sure that's helpful, you know? I don't think it's helpful at all. Uh, that's why I think it's so ironic that like we have access to more things. Like most humans have like a smartphone and inf- mm-hmm. they have more power in their hands than like the, the Apollo 13 mission had. I mean, it's like crazy. And yet we find ourselves in this space where we base, like if we're talking about clothing, right? And everything you look up online is clothing. That's pretty much what your experience online is about and what's being fed to you about. Yeah. Which is so weird to me. So there's not like this it's catering to what you want to look at, but it doesn't like give you like random pieces of information. Like, well, here's something you may be interested in. It's like, no, this is what you like. So I'm just going to give you more of what you like. So then you just basically go down this hole of what you like. Yeah. And, you know, I, I actually think that um, over the past 10, 15 years, we as um, you know, citizens of the world, I guess. I, I don't like using that. <laughs> but the way we think, I think, is actually getting closer and closer together. They, um, The individual cultures and ideas, some of those are going by the wayside, unfortunately. Um, there's more and more group think, I feel like. Um, I, one example of this is that, you know, I've been traveling to Europe since I was 15. And um, at that point, I can tell that cars, for example, was still very different. You know, there's cars that are made in Europe and they look different, et cetera. But today, if you travel to um, Europe, cars are looking more and more similar to the ones you have in the U.S. And so, um, you know, burgers, for example, um, or, or sushi, for example. Oh, sushi is an actually a very good example. When I went to Europe, you know, in the 90s, you couldn't find sushi, but today it's all over, right? And so um, palates and tastes and everything is is being shared across. Now you can say it's a good thing, but in some ways it's like, gosh, I don't know. Is it really a good thing? It just seems like our um, selection of things are are becoming smaller and smaller, you know? That's a good point. Actually, I was watching this awesome documentary on, I think it was Age of artificial intelligence on PBS. Big shout out to PBS. Amazing stuff on there. Very down the line stuff, you know, and uh, it was talking about cars. So you mentioned cars and it made me think of how like, you know, the oncoming kind of electric car revolution and self-driving cars. And there is this large projection by scientists and people in the industry that cars will become very homogenous in the future at some point, because if you start having more self-driving cars, 
uh, people will not care with the design of the car as much because they're not driving the car. And it's really just be about communica- um, transportation. And, and and it's interesting, if you look at movies, and like a, I think a good example of this is the, um, or show, Upload on Amazon Prime. And the future in that show, all the cars look exactly the same. There's little mini pods, transporting people, self-driving. And there's kind of a movement that that may become a thing in the future, you know? Yeah, you know, it's a very good point because I, I never think about um, the importance of the subway that I, that, that how don't the care subway how it I looks. take a look. No. <laughs> or, or the plane that I'm flying in. Do I, does the aesthetic of it matter to me? No, not really. You know, make the seats inside, sure. sure. Um, but you're right um, that the aesthetics of the outside of it, it would matter less if you're not really in control. If it's not your plane, you know, if it's not your subway. Once you're not driving something or controlling the transportation method, you don't care what it looks no. like. Who, like you're riding on a train. Like who goes, oh man, I wish these trains would look nicer. <laughs> like you don't care about right. it. You're just like, oh, will it get me from San Diego to LA, you know, on the right time? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what's going to happen with cars. And also I think that's what's, what's going to happen with our smartphone devices. I, I've been saying this for years. This sounds like I'm a weird, weird conspiracy guy or whatever. I'm not. But I think the smartphone is dead in like five to 10 years, completely dead. I think the form of the phone is going to change. It won't even be a phone anymore. It will be some very homogenous device that won't have like covers and stuff. It'll just be maybe part of your body or something, a chip or whatever. Put in yeah, because your- then it won't matter what it looks like. Who cares about your case that you have? And I think most of society yeah. is becoming more homogenous in these type of things, transportation, communication mm-hmm. methods, and things of nature like that. I just don't think people are thinking about it this way. So clothing's interesting. Because clothing, as long as you control what you wear and you what you're wanted to wear, you will have style and fashion. But if that yep. ever changed, you might not care if there was like a uniform for everybody, you know, like. Right. right. And that's why I do think, you know, um, not following the herd and dressing the way you want to dress is important um, because it is still your way of presenting yourself and to express how you feel um, at for that occasion or that day. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's- I, I do think. Think about it. The next time the cars are not, they're going to look the same down the line. Somebody's going to go nuts about this. That's not true. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just telling you, if you don't drive it. You probably won't care. Yeah, it, I think it, like I said, it's already happening. You know, the cars in Europe are looking more and more like cars in the U S. Um, you know? I also think it's much harder. Like I grew up partially in Europe and Germany and, and, you know, as I've, I, I did, it took a long time for me to travel back, but as I have traveled back throughout the years and more recently before all this and, and going to uh, Far East and things, I just noticed kind of this sense of like the losing of identity of cultures. And, uh, you know, if you go, like I was in Malaysia hoping to open the club and I was like, I want to experience like Malay culture, Chinese culture, Indian culture. And it felt like they were trying so hard to be, to have American restaurants and watch American shows. I'm like, why do you want to do that? Don't, why do you want to be like America? Like be like yourself, you know, like. 
Yeah, I, I saw that Tony Roma Steakhouse so are really weird. big in Malaysia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it's, you know, it's supply and demand, right? Yeah. I think if someone's asking for it, then there's going to be the <laughs> that you know, Papa John's be and like Kuala Lumpur. I yeah. mean, really? Like a Johnny Rocket? I was blown away. I was like, first of all, this is not even good food and two like i mean like they're like well we're used to eating the stuff we grew up with i'm like do you realize the stuff you grew up with that's on the street corners and stuff is like some of the best food in the world that's very true like you don't want that i'm like but i guess it's how you grew up right and different things i just think it's why do you want to become more like another place it's kind of the evil of of humans in a sense, the comparison of being like someone else all the time and comparing yourself. It's like embrace your culture and the things you do, the traditions, you know, the food, especially. Wow. It's, I mean, don't embrace like a terrible regime and stuff like that, but you know. Well, some of those restaurants, they localize, right? So for example, KFC um, in Japan has taken such a weird turn where well, I shouldn't use the word weird. It's just a different approach where uh, recently I saw how the colonel has become um, caricature in a way that he's younger. He's a matchmaker. (laughs) (laughs) And there's cartoons, anime. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a different direction altogether. You just blew my mind with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I highly encourage you to Google that um, if you're uh, looking for something that's kind of comical and silly. I mean, the colonel's like match.com or something. He's like tender colonel or something. It's like... No, no, no. He's like, well, and first of all, he's taller, younger, and slimmer. Uh, and second of all, there's he's just it, it presented in a different way with hearts and stuff. Yeah. Wow. I remember the first time um, I went to Pizza Hut in Hong Kong in the 80s, actually. And, um, you know, pizza is so far, it's so different from our our, um, normal cuisine. And so I remember going to the mall with my parents and we were like, what the heck is that smell? And we weren't actually enjoying the smell, to be quite honest. It's just the the, the cheese and the tomato sauce. We didn't like it. But, and actually the first time we had pizza, at Pizza Hut, maybe it was because it was first introduced. We were not happy. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I first moved to this country, the only pizza that I had was um, on Fridays in school. So that also didn't give you a very good so bad. picture depiction of pizza, right? Um, it took me years to for my family and I to really embrace and enjoy pizza. Today we order all the time, yeah. But it took us some time because. Um, of the the type of pizza that was presented. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Pizza Hut, really? That's what we got in, in uh, Hong Kong? <laughs> or, you know... <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's changed. You know, there's way more selection. But yeah. in the 80s, it was like, someone had to take the first step, right? Yeah. The plunge. Right, Pizza Hut. It was pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure there'll never be a sponsor of the show based off of what I'm saying right now. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Oh, well, it's okay. I don't eat pizza. It's not, I used to crush it when I was like in fifth grade, all the way through like high Uh school. And then I was like, why am I eating this? There's like way better pizza options than this (laughs) growing up. (laughs) Like, why am I, what am I doing? Like, and I don't know. But, anyways, wow, that was, uh, that's a good note to end on because, wow, that, uh, the kernel thing, I'm going to have to look that up. That's, uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, he's like a matchmaker. That's crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too is in, in Japan, um, it's huge for Christmas. So like in Christmas, um, people line up for KFC. Oh. It's probably a, a genius My marketing goodness. ploy that they find. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or Kit Kat, that's another example. Kit Kat in America is, you know, good chocolate bars. But in um, Japan, it's taken off so that it's, um, there's, I don't know, probably over a hundred different flavors from cheesecake to sake to, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a totally different approach of localization. Wow. Totally not relevant to what we were just talking it about. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I, you know, it, it just, these things go wherever they need to go. I just let it happen. Exactly. And I learned a lot about Hong Kong and China today. And uh, I'm shaken by the whole KFC thing, honestly. And I'm shook up about it. Thanks for that weird image of the colonel. Okay. <laughs> so, You're welcome. Yeah. Bien, it's been a pleasure. And um, hey, man. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Me. This is how it goes. You know, we start about, you know, some clothing and then end up on uh, KFC. So who knows, you know. <laughs> uh, well, have a good day and I will be in touch with you. All right. You too. Have a wonderful week. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Bye-bye. So let me ask you something. How do you get your news? Because I know you want to stay informed with what's going on here in the world. There's so much going on on a regular basis. And it's something that's been a problem for me personally. And I've been searching and searching and searching. And finally, I found a news source that I think all of my listeners are going to love. It's called The Donut, or The Dose of News Useful Today. The founder and CEO, Peter Nowak, is a good friend of mine. And when he turned me on to it, I was just blown away. Finally... A daily news source that delivers succinct and factual news about all the world's occurrences and it's an easy access to finding things that you just want to get information about and it also serves up a lot of positive news stories that you won't hear anywhere else it's your daily reminder that there is good in the world even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes so get the donut stay informed it's hundred percent free you can unsubscribe anytime Visit thedonut.co or text DONUT to 66866 to sign up today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the Rate and Review section. Thanks, everyone. If you plan to study medicine, Apply for the U.S. Army's Health Profession Scholarship Program and launch yourself into a medical career like no other. It offers full tuition and the support of one of the largest, most advanced healthcare networks in the world. A career of innovative medicine without a lifetime of debt. That's the Army difference. Learn more at GoArmy.com slash tuition paid. As we continue to face COVID-19, we're now facing flu season. Influenza has the potential to infect millions, putting lives and the healthcare system at risk. Now more than ever, it's essential to protect yourself from influenza by getting the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is safe and effective and can't give you the flu. To protect yourself and those at highest risk, get your flu vaccine. Learn more at michigan.gov flu. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.